Greetings, friends. It's the One Year Bible Tour Guide, and I'm your host, David McAdam. It's a special joy to be with you today on February 14th. It's Valentine's Day, and it's also the birthday of our son-in-law, Pastor Phil Garwood, who ministers on the opposite side of this great land in the beautiful state of Oregon. There are a number of stories as to how February 14th has been associated with the name of Valentine and a number of Valentines whose names have been recorded in history. So we might well ask, will the real Valentine please stand up? There was a Christian who was reportedly martyred on this day. He was arrested and imprisoned upon being caught conducting marriage ceremonies for Christian couples and otherwise aiding Christians who were at that time being persecuted by the Emperor Claudius of Rome. Helping Christians at that time was considered a crime, and the story is told that he tried to convert the emperor and was condemned to death and beheaded on February 14th. While we may not know for certain what is fact or fiction about these accounts, we can certainly be inspired by the examples of those in the past who have stood up for the gospel message in times of persecution and backed up their message with demonstrations of love and goodwill. So on this Valentine's Day, let's read the scriptures together which in many ways serve as a love letter to our hearts. The tabernacle that we'll be reading about in the book of Exodus prefigures the work of redemption, in which God would demonstrate his love for us in such a way that he would send his only begotten Son, the holiest of all, to shed his blood on the altar of the cross as a perfect atoning sacrifice, that we might be cleansed from our sin, identified with his righteousness, and drawn near to him to share eternal fellowship as those who have been adopted. The hymn writer said it so well, So near, so very near to God, I can no nearer be. For in the person of His Son, I am as close as He. So may the Holy Spirit draw us into intimate fellowship with the Lord, and may we have His love shed abroad in our hearts for others. Our Old Testament reading is from the book of Exodus, chapter 37, and we're starting with verse 1, The Making of the Ark of the Covenant. Bezalel made the ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half was its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. And he overlaid it with pure gold inside and outside, and made a molding of gold around it. And he cast for it four rings of gold for its four feet, two rings on its one side and two rings on its other side. And he made poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold, and put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark, and he made a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half was its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth. And he made two cherubim of gold. He made them of hammered work on the two ends of the mercy seat, one cherub on the one end, and one cherub on the other end. Of one piece with the mercy seat, he made the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim spread out their wings above overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings, with their faces one to another, toward the mercy seat were the faces of the cherubim. He also made the table of acacia wood. Two cubits was its length, and a cubit its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. And he overlaid it with pure gold, and made a molding of gold around it. And he made a rim around it a handbreadth wide, and made a molding of gold around the rim. He cast for it four rings of gold, and fastened the rings to the four corners at its four legs. Close to the frame were the rings, as holders for the poles to carry the table. He made the poles of acacia wood to carry the table, and overlaid them with gold. And he made the vessels of pure gold that were to be on the table, its plates and dishes for incense, 
and its bowls and flagons with which to pour drink offerings. He also made the lampstand of pure gold. He made the lampstand of hammered work. Its base, its stem, its cups, its calyxes, and its flowers were of one piece with it. And there were six branches going out of its sides, three branches of the lampstand out of one side of it, and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side of it, three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower, on one branch, and three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower, on the other branch, so for the six branches going out of the lampstand. And on the lampstand itself were four cups made like almond blossoms, with their calyxes and flowers, and a calyx of one piece with it under each pair of the six branches going out of it. Their calyxes and their branches were of one piece with it. The whole of it was a single piece of hammered work of pure gold, and he made its seven lamps and its tongs and its trays of pure gold. He made it and all its utensils out of a talent of pure gold. He made the altar of incense of acacia wood. Its length was a cubit, and its breadth was a cubit. It was square, and two cubits was its height. Its horns were of one piece with it. He overlaid it with pure gold, its top and around its sides and its horns. And he made a molding of gold around it, and made two rings of gold on it under its molding, on two opposite sides of it, as holders for the poles with which to carry it. And he made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. He made the holy anointing oil also, and the pure fragrant incense, blended as by the perfumer. Chapter 38 Making the Altar of Burnt Offering He made the altar of burnt offering of acacia wood. Five cubits was its length, and five cubits its breadth. It was square, and three cubits was its height. He made horns for it on its four corners. Its horns were of one piece with it, and he overlaid it with bronze. And he made all the utensils of the altar, the pots, the shovels, the basins, the forks, and the firepans. He made all its utensils of bronze. And he made for the altar a grating, a network of bronze under its ledge, extending halfway down. He cast four rings on the four corners of the bronze grating as holders for the poles. He made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with bronze. And he put the poles through the rings on the sides of the altar to carry it with them. He made it hollow with boards. He made the basin of bronze and its stand of bronze from the mirrors of the ministering women who ministered in the entrance of the tent of meeting. And he made the court. From the south side the hangings of the court were of fine twined linen a hundred cubits. Their twenty pillars and their twenty bases were of bronze, but the hooks of the pillars and their fillets were of silver. And for the north side there were hangings of a hundred cubits. Their twenty pillars and their twenty bases were of bronze, but the hooks of the pillars and their fillets were of silver. And for the west side were hangings of fifty cubits. Their ten pillars and their ten bases, the hooks of the pillars and their fillets were of silver. And for the front to the east, fifty cubits. The hangings for one side of the gate were fifteen cubits, with their three pillars and three bases. And so for the other side. On both sides of the gate of the court were hangings of fifteen cubits, with their three pillars and their three bases. All the hangings around the court were of fine twined linen, and the bases for the pillars were of bronze, but the hooks of the pillars and their fillets were of silver. The overlaying of their capitals was also of silver, 
and all the pillars of the court were filleted with silver, and the screen for the gate of the court was embroidered with needlework in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. It was twenty cubits long and five cubits high in its breadth corresponding to the hangings of the court, and their pillars were four in number. Their four bases were of bronze, their hooks of silver, and the overlaying of their capitals and their fillets of silver. And all the pegs for the tabernacle and for the court all around were of bronze. These are the records of the tabernacle, the tabernacle of the testimony, as they were recorded at the commandment of Moses, the responsibility of the Levites under the direction of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, made all that the Lord commanded Moses, and with him was Aholiab, the son of Ahizamach, of the tribe of Dan, an engraver and designer and embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the gold that was used for the work in all the construction of the sanctuary, the gold from the offering, was twenty-nine talents and seven hundred and thirty shekels by the shekel of the sanctuary. The silver from those of the congregation who were recorded was a hundred talents and one thousand seven hundred and seventy-five shekels by the shekel of the sanctuary. A becca a head, that is, half a shekel by the shekel of the sanctuary, for everyone who was listed in the records, from twenty years old and upward, for six hundred and three thousand and five hundred and fifty men. The hundred talents of silver were for casting the bases of the sanctuary and the bases of the veil, a hundred bases for the hundred talents, a talent a base. And of the one thousand seven hundred and seventy-five shekels, he made hooks for the pillars and overlaid their capitals and made fillets for them. The bronze that was offered was seventy talents and two thousand four hundred shekels. With it he made the bases for the entrance of the tent of meeting, the bronze altar, and the bronze grating for it, and all the utensils of the altar, the bases around the court, and the bases of the gate of the court, all the pegs of the tabernacle, and all the pegs around the court. And this is the end of today's portion from the book of Exodus. I think it's particularly helpful to get the written copy of our commentary because it has pictures of all the items of the tabernacle. The tabernacle gets off the drawing board today as construction begins. The ark is constructed of the donated acacia wood, three and three quarters feet long, two and a quarter feet wide, and two and a quarter feet high. It is then covered with pure gold. Gold molding went all around the sides. The four gold rings were fastened to the four lower corners so that the gold-plated poles could be inserted, enabling the Kohathites to carry it when necessary. The golden mercy seat was three and three-quarters feet long and two and a quarter feet wide. The two cherubim, angels that were protectors of God's holiness, were placed on the two sides of the mercy seat and were all of the same piece of beaten gold. The cherubim had their eyes focused on the place of mercy, the solid gold cover of the Ark of the Testimony, where the blood of the atoning sacrifice would be placed. The table of showbread was constructed with acacia wood overlaid with gold, it was three feet long, one and a half feet wide, and two and a quarter feet high. Like the Ark of the Covenant, gold molding was found all around the edges. Four gold rings were cast into the table legs for the gold-covered acacia poles that were used to transport the table. The lampstand was also made of pure beaten gold. 
There was a central lamp holder and three other branches on each side with decorative almond blossoms carved on them. The lampstand weighed 107 pounds of pure gold. The altar of incense was 18 inches square and 3 feet high with corner horns all of one piece constructed of gold-plated acacia wood. It also had the four golden rings for the gold-plated poles that would be used for transporting it. Those who were experts in perfumery made the sacred anointing oil and the incense. The brazen altar for the burnt offerings was seven and a half feet square at the top and four and a half feet high with four horns on the four corners which were one piece with the rest. The altar was covered with brass as were the transporting poles that fit into the brass rings. Where did they get the brass? Exodus chapter 38 verse 8 provides the answer. Moreover, he made the laver of bronze with its base of bronze from the mirrors of the serving women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Exodus chapter 38 verse 8. Mirror glass was not invented yet, and polished brass was the means of getting a good reflection. The northern and southern walls of the tabernacle were 150 feet in length, with 20 posts with silver posts and rods holding the linen drapes. The west and east sides were 75 feet in length with drapes supported by ten poles and silver hooks and rods. The drapes at each side of the entrance were twenty-two and a half feet wide, held up by three posts on three bases of brass. The hooks, the rods, and the tops of the posts on the eastern and western walls were made of silver. The drapes at the entrance were made of purple, blue, and scarlet thread. The entrance was supported by four posts with four bronze bases and silver tops. All the nails in the construction of the tabernacle were made of brass. The silver from the tabernacle tax, that is the ransom money, furnished the 9,575 pounds of silver needed. The people's gifts furnished the 3,140 pounds of gold and the 7,540 pounds of bronze from the people's collection provided for the brazen altar, the nails, and the brass utensils. Once again, we see the expositional constants in the typology. Gold representing deity, acacia wood representing the incorruptible humanity of Christ, silver representing redemption, and brass representing judgment. Now let's go to our New Testament reading today from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 1 through 20. The Resurrection Now after the Sabbath... Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. 
Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And this concludes chapter 28 and it concludes the Gospel of Matthew. Today's New Testament reading in Matthew chapter 28 tells us of the resurrection of Christ and His great commission. The resurrection declares that, number one, Jesus is who He says He is, the Son of God. Romans chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Number two, Jesus is fully vindicated as the Holy One, having lived a perfect life without sin. Psalm 16, verse 10. Number three, Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient to atone for the sins of the repentant believer. He was successful in taking the death penalty incurred by our sin as our sinless substitute and paid our full debt to satisfy God's righteous law. The proof of this is that Jesus was released from the indictment of condemnation and death, proving that the law was satisfied on our behalf. We who believe are therefore acquitted from all our guilt. Romans chapter 4 Verse 25. Number four, Jesus is victorious over death and Satan. He has given the death blow to the one who has power over death, that is the devil. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. Number five, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus' death answers any charge that might come against us. The law of double jeopardy says that you cannot try a person twice for the same crime. We have been tried and legally acquitted on all counts, and now Jesus is alive to intercede for us. Our living proof. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Number six, we are able to be born again of the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, and therefore have a living, abiding, indwelling hope of the imperishable inheritance that is to come in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5. through 5. And lastly, number 7, we can be assured that believers shall have resurrection bodies like the resurrection body of Jesus, the first fruit of resurrection, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 49, Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, and 1 John chapter 3, verses 1-3. through 3. Next, we read about the Great Commission, the Great Co-Mission, which we are called to share. Number 1, the Imperative that is the command. Make disciples. Share the gospel and lead by example new believers into a lifestyle of love and obedience, following and glorifying Christ. Number two, the participle bearing imperatival value. Go. This involves intentionality. Number three, 
the participles describing the process, baptizing, initiating their outward identification with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection as partakers of eternal life, fellowship with the triune God, and secondly, teaching, modeling and instructing in a lifestyle of joyful obedience to God's revealed will, fulfilling his commands in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then fourthly, the promise in verse 20, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Disciple-makers are promised the full provision of His presence, power, and provisions to resource our obedience to His commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." Now let's move to our next stop in our Bible reading tour, the book of Psalms, and we're reading Psalm 34, verses 11 through 22. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate righteousness will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of His servants. None of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. There's a lot of good instruction here. We are ultimately accountable to God, who is so ready to redeem, comfort, forgive, and save to the uttermost those who put their trust in Him. In wisdom literature such as the book of Psalms and Proverbs, Students who would gain wisdom are often referred to as children, and the first lesson in the school of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Psalm 34, verse 11. In our reading, the fear of the Lord is followed by a desire to pursue God's will, to maintain integrity of speech, to practice doing what is good, shunning evil, and seeking peace rather than trouble. The next stanza encourages a prayer life in which we realize that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. The Lord does not promise us an easy life. In fact, many are the afflictions of those who have been made right with God through faith in Christ. But the Lord is faithful to deliver His people out of them all. Verse 20 is a prophecy that we see fulfilled at the crucifixion of Christ. Though Jesus was put to death for our transgressions, not one of his bones were broken. For these things came to pass to fulfill the scripture, not a bone of him shall be broken. John chapter 19, verse 36. The reading closes with another assuring promise. Psalm 34, verse 22 reads, The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Now for our final stop in our Bible reading tour today, we go to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. A wise person will love the one who offers to correct him. A person in a right relationship with God will recognize his or her need to grow in their knowledge of Him and therefore to be taught. Do we have a teachable spirit? Are we growing in our understanding of Him? Do we recognize that God's self-revelation through His Word is the most important ingredient for making good decisions in life? Let's pray together. Lord, You showed us today in Your Word that in building the tabernacle, the children of Israel proved that they were not hearers only, but they were doers of the Word. Help us, Lord, to respond to Your grace with fresh obedience. You have risen from the dead and commissioned us to go and tell. Help us to be obedient and redeem the time, making disciples of all kinds of people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening, and we encourage you once again to go to our website, newlife.org, and there you can subscribe to a daily email that is a written copy with illustrations that might be helpful, particularly as we go through the items of the tabernacle and the sacrifices of the Old Testament. Our prayer is that you will see the beauty of Christ in all of these details. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can write us at podcast at newlife.org. So until next time, may our hearts be filled with the knowledge of God's love. May the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in His sight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. May His peace be with you. Shalom. Shalom.